Hello, grade nines, and welcome to your February 26th edition of First Chapter Fridays. This is the last Friday in February, which is also Black History Month. So today we will be rounding off the month with another book from some Black authors. The book that I have chosen for today is called Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, which is a remix of the National Book Award winning Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. This reimagining of Stamped from the Beginning is written by Jason Reynolds, and the introduction is written by Ibram X. Kendi. This New York Times number one bestselling must-read is amazingly timely and stunningly accessible. It's an exploration of race and racism from award-winning, beloved authors Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. This is not a history book. This is a book about the here and now, a book to help us better understand why we are where we are, a book about race. The construct of race has always been used to gain and keep power, to create dynamics that separate and silence. This remarkable reimagining of Dr. Ibram X. Kendi's National Book Award-winning Stamped from the Beginning reveals the history of racist ideas in America and inspires hope for an anti-racist future. It takes you on a race journey from then to now, shows you why we feel how we feel and why the poison of racism lingers. It also proves that white racist ideas have always been easy to fabricate and distribute. They can also be discredited. Through a gripping, fast-paced, and energizing narrative written by beloved award winner Jason Reynolds, this book shines a light on the many insidious forms of racist ideas and on ways readers can identify and stamp out racist thoughts in their daily lives. This really is a wonderful book, and the reimagining as a young adult novel is amazing as well. And what I've done today is I've decided to give you the audiobook version of the introduction and first chapter written, sorry, read by Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds, so that you are hearing the book in their voices, which I think is incredibly powerful. So, without further ado... Hachette Audio presents Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, written by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi, read for you by Jason Reynolds with an introduction read by Ibram X. Kendi. Hi, this is Ibram X. Kendi. Introduction. To know the past is to know the present. To know the present is to know yourself. I write about the history of racism to understand racism today. I want to understand racism today to understand how it is affecting me today. I want you to understand racism today to understand how it is affecting you and America today. This book you're listening to is a remix of my book, Stamped from the Beginning, a narrative history of racist and anti-racist ideas. A racist idea is any idea that suggests something is wrong or right, 
superior or inferior, better or worse about a racial group. An anti-racist idea is any idea that suggests that racial groups are equals. Racist and anti-racist ideas have lived in human minds for nearly 600 years. Born in Western Europe in the mid-1400s, racist ideas traveled to colonial America and have lived in the United States from its beginning. I chronicled their entire life in Stamped from the Beginning. The novelist Jason Reynolds adapted Stamp from the Beginning into this book for you. I wish I learned this history at your age, but there were no books telling the complete story of racist ideas. Some books told parts of the story. I hardly wanted to read them, though. Most were so boring, written in ways I could not relate to, but not Jason's books, not this book, Jason is one of the most gifted writers and thinkers of our time. I don't know of anyone who would have been better at connecting the past to the present for you. Jason is a great writer in the purest sense. A great writer snatches the human eye in the way that a thumping beat snatches the human ear, makes your head bop up and down. It is hard to stop when the beat is on. A great writer makes my head bop from side to side. It is hard to stop when the book is open. I don't think I'm a great writer like Jason, but I do think I'm a courageous writer. I wrote Stamp from the Beginning with my cell phone on, with my television on, with my anger on, with my joy on, always thinking on and on. I watched the televised and untelevised life of the shooting star of Black Lives Matter during America's stormiest nights. I watched the televised and untelevised killings of unarmed black human beings at the hands of cops and wannabe cops. I somehow managed to write Stamp from the Beginning between the heartbreaking deaths of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin and 17-year-old Darnisha Harris and 12-year-old Tamir Rice, and 16-year-old Kimani Gray, and 18-year-old Michael Brown. Heartbreaks that are a product of America's history of racist ideas, as much as a history of racist ideas is a product of these heartbreaks. Meaning, if not for racist ideas, George Zimmerman would not have thought the hooded Florida teen who liked LeBron James, hip-hop, and South Park had to be a robber. Zimmerman's racist ideas in 2012 transformed an easygoing Trayvon Martin walking home from a 7-Eleven holding watermelon juice and Skittles into a menace to society, holding danger. Racist ideas caused people to look at an innocent black face and see a criminal. If not for racist ideas, Trayvon Martin would still be alive his dreams of becoming a pilot would still be alive. Young black males were 21 times more likely to be killed by police than their white counterparts between 2010 and 2012, according to federal statistics. The under-recorded, under-analyzed racial disparities between female victims of lethal police force may be even greater.
black people are five times more likely to be incarcerated than whites. I'm no math whiz, but if black people make up 13% of the U.S. population, then black people should make up somewhere close to 13% of Americans killed by the police and somewhere close to 13% of Americans sitting in prisons. But today, the United States remains nowhere close to racial equality. African Americans make up 40% of the incarcerated population. These are racial inequities, older than the life of the United States. Even before Thomas Jefferson and the other founding fathers declared independence in 1776, Americans were arguing over racial inequities, over why they exist and persist, and over why white Americans as a group were prospering more than black Americans as a group. Historically, there have been three groups involved in this heated argument, both segregationist and assimilationist, as I call these racist positions in stamp from the beginning, think black people are to blame for racial inequity. Both the segregationist and the assimilationist think there's something wrong with black people, and that's why black people are on the lower and dying end of racial inequity. The assimilationists believe black people as a group can be changed for the better, and the segregationists do not. The segregationists and the assimilationists are challenged by anti-racists. The anti-racists say there's nothing wrong or right about black people and everything wrong with racism. The anti-racists say racism is the problem in need of changing, not black people. The anti-racists tried to transform racism. The assimilationists tried to transform black people. The segregationists tried to get away from black people. These are the three distinct racial positions you will hear throughout Stamped. Racism, anti-racism, and you. The segregationists, the assimilationists, and the anti-racists. And how they each have rationalized racial inequity. In writing Stamp from the Beginning, I did not want to just write about racist ideas. I wanted to discover the source of racist ideas. When I was in school and first really learning about racism, I was taught the popular origin story. I was taught that ignorant and hateful people had produced racist ideas and that these racist people had instituted racist policies. But when I learned the motives behind the production of racist ideas, it became obvious that this folktale, though sensible, was not true. I found that the need of powerful people to defend racist policies that benefited them led them to produce racist ideas. And when unsuspecting people consumed these racist ideas, they became ignorant and hateful. Think of it this way. There are only two potential explanations for racial inequity, for why white people were free and black people were enslaved in the United States. Either racist policies forced black people into enslavement or animalistic black people were fit for slavery. Now, if you make a lot of money enslaving people, then to defend your business, you want people to believe that black people are fit for slavery. 
you will produce and circulate this racist idea to stop abolitionists from challenging slavery, from abolishing what is making you rich. You see, the racist policies of slavery arrive first, and then the racist ideas follow to justify slavery. And these racist ideas make people ignorant about racism and hateful of racial groups. When I began writing Stamp from the Beginning, I must confess that I held quite a few racist ideas. Yes, me. I'm an African-American. I'm an historian of African-Americans. But it's important to remember that racist ideas are ideas. Anyone can produce them or consume them, as this book shows. I thought there were certain things wrong with black people and other racial groups, fooled by racist ideas. I did not fully realize that the only thing wrong with black people is that we think something is wrong with black people. I did not fully realize that the only thing extraordinary about white people is that they think something is extraordinary about white people. They are lazy, hardworking, wise, unwise, harmless, and harmful individuals of every race. But no racial group is better or worse than another racial group in any way. Committed to this anti-racist idea of group equality, I was able to discover, self-critique, and shed the racist ideas I had consumed over my lifetime while I uncovered and exposed the racist ideas that others have produced over the lifetime of America. The first step to building an anti-racist America is acknowledging America's racist past. By acknowledging America's racist past, we can acknowledge America's racist present. In acknowledging America's racist present, we can work towards building an anti-racist America, an anti-racist America where no racial group has more or less or is thought of as more or less, an anti-racist America where the people no longer hate on racial groups or try to change racial groups, in anti-racist America where our skin color is as irrelevant as the colors of the clothes over our skin. And an anti-racist America is sure to come. No power lasts forever. There will come a time when Americans will realize that the only thing wrong with black people is that they think something is wrong with black people. There will come a time when racist ideas will no longer obstruct us from seeing the complete an utter abnormality of racial disparities. There will come a time when we will love humanity, when we will gain the courage to fight for an equitable society for our beloved humanity, knowing intelligently that when we fight for humanity, we are fighting for ourselves. There will come a time. Maybe, just maybe, that time is now. Section 1, 1415 to 1728. Chapter 1, The Story of the World's First Racist. Before we begin, let's get something straight. This is not a history book. I repeat, this is not a history book. At least not like the ones you're used to reading in school. 
the ones that feel more like a list of dates, and there will be some, with an occasional war here and there, a declaration, definitely got to mention that, a constitution, that too, a court case or two, and of course, the paragraph that's read during Black History Month, Harriet, Rosa, Martin, this isn't that. This isn't a history book, or at least it's not that kind of history book. Instead, what this is, is a book that contains history, a history directly connected to our lives as we live them right this minute. This is a present book, a book about the here and now, a book that hopefully will help us better understand why we are where we are as Americans, specifically as our identity pertains to race. Uh-oh, the R-word which for many of us still feels rated R, or can be matched only with another R word, run. But don't. Let's all just take a deep breath. Inhale, hold it, exhale and breathe out, race. See? Not so bad. Except for the fact that race has been a strange and persistent poison in American history, which I'm sure you already know. I'm also sure that depending on where you are and where you've grown up, your experiences with it, or at least the moment in which you recognize it, may vary. Some may believe race isn't an issue anymore, that it's a thing of the past, old tales for bad times. Others may be certain that race is like an alligator, a dinosaur that never went extinct but instead evolved. And though hiding in murky swamp waters, that leftover monster is still deadly. And then there are those of you who know that race and more critical racism are everywhere. Those of you who see racism regularly robbing people of liberty, whether as a violent stick-up or as a sly pickpocket. The thief known as racism is all around. This book... This not-history history book, this present book, is meant to take you on a race journey from then to now to show why we feel how we feel, why we live how we live, and why this poison, whether recognizable or unrecognizable, whether it's a scream or a whisper, just won't go away. This isn't the be-all, end-all. This isn't the whole meal. It's more like an appetizer. Something in preparation for the feast to come. Something to get you excited about choosing your seat, the right seat, at the table. Oh, and there are three words I want you to keep in mind. Three words to describe the people we'll be exploring. Segregationists, assimilationists, anti-racists. There are serious definitions to these things, but I'm going to give you mine. Segregationists are haters, like real haters, people who hate you for not being like them. Assimilationists are people who like you, but only with quotation marks, like like you, meaning they like you because you're like them. And then there are anti-racists. They love you because you're like you. But it's important to note, life can rarely be wrapped into single-word descriptions. It isn't neat and perfectly shaped. So sometimes, over the course of a lifetime, and even over the course of a day, people can take on and act out ideas represented by more than one of these three identities. 
can be both and. Just keep that in mind as we explore these folks. And actually, these aren't just the words we'll be using to describe the people in this book. They're also the words we'll be using to describe you and me, all of us. So where do we start? We might as well just jump in and begin with the world's first racist. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could anyone know who the world's first racist was? Or you're thinking, yeah, tell us so we can find out where he lives. Well, he's dead. Been dead for 600 years, thankfully. And before I tell you about him, I have to give you a little context. Europe. That's where we are. Where he was. As I'm sure you've learned by now, the Europeans, Italians, Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, French, British, were conquering everyone, because if there's one thing all history books do say, it's that Europeans conquered the majority of the world. The year is 1415, and Prince Henry, there's always a Prince Henry, convinced his father, King John of Portugal, to basically pull a caper and capture the main Muslim trading depot on the northeastern tip of Morocco. Why? Simple. Prince Henry was jealous. The Muslims had riches, and if Prince Henry could get the Muslims out of the way, then those riches and resources could be easily accessed. Stolen. A jack move. A robbery. Plain and simple. The take, a bountiful supply of gold. And Africans. That's right, the Portuguese were capturing Moorish people who would become prisoners of war in a war the Moors hadn't planned on fighting but had to to survive. And by prisoners, I mean property. Human property. But neither Prince Henry nor King John of Portugal was given the title world's first racist because the truth is, capturing people wasn't an unusual thing back then. Just a fact of life. That illustrious moniker would go to a man named neither Henry nor John, but something way more awesome who did something not awesome at all. Gomez Yanez de Zurara. Zurara, which sounds like a cheerleader chant, did just that. He cheerleaded. Cheered. Whatever. He was a cheerleader, kind of. Not the kind who roots for a team and pumps up a crowd, but he was a man who made sure the team he played for was represented and heralded as great. He made sure Prince Henry was looked at as a brilliant quarterback making ingenious plays and that every touchdown was the mark of a superior player. How did Zurara do this? Through literature. Storytelling. He wrote the story, a biography of the life and slave trading of Prince Henry. Zurara was an obedient commander in Prince Henry's military order of Christ and would eventually complete his book, which would become the first defense of African slave trading. It was called The Chronicle of the Discovery and Conquest of Guinea. In it, Zurara bragged about the Portuguese being early in bringing enslaved Africans from the Western Sahara Cape and spoke about owning humans as if they were exclusive pairs of sneakers. Again, this was common, but he upped the brag by also explaining what made Portugal different from their European neighbors in terms of slave trading. The Portuguese now saw enslaving people as missionary work, a mission from God to help civilize and Christianize the African savages. At least that's what Zurara claimed. 
And the reason this was a one-up on his competitors, the Spanish and Italians, was because they were still enslaving Eastern Europeans, as in white people, not called white people back then. Zurara's ace, his trick shot, was that the Portuguese had enslaved Africans, of all shades, by the way, supposedly for the purpose of saving their wretched souls. Zurara made Prince Henry out to be some kind of youth minister, canvassing the street, doing community work, when what Prince Henry really was was more of a gangster, more of a shakedown man, a kidnapper getting a commission for bringing the king captives. Prince Henry's cut, like a finder's fee, 185 slaves, equaling money, 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 though it was always framed as a noble cause thanks to Zurara, who was also paid for his pen. Seems like Zurara was just a liar, right? A fiction writer. So what makes him the world's first racist? Well, Zurara was the first person to write about and defend black human ownership, and this single document began the recorded history of anti-black racist ideas. You know how the kings are always attached to where they rule? Like King John of Portugal? Well, if Gomez Ianes de Zurara was the king of anything, which he wasn't, he would have been King Gomez of racism. Zurara's book, The Chronicle of the Discovery and Conquest of Guinea, was a hit. And you know what hits do. They spread. Like a pop song that everyone claims to hate, but everyone knows the words to, and then suddenly, no one hates the song anymore, and instead it becomes an anthem. Zurara's book became an anthem. A song sung all across Europe as the primary source of knowledge on unknown Africa and African peoples for the original slave traders and enslavers in Spain, Holland, France, and England. Zurara depicted Africans as savage animals that needed taming. This depiction over time would even begin to convince some African people that they were inferior, like Al-Hassan ibn Muhammad al-Wazan al-Fasi, a well-educated Moroccan who was on a diplomatic journey along the Mediterranean Sea when he was captured and enslaved. He was eventually freed by Pope Leo X, who converted him to Christianity, renamed him Johannes Leo he later became known as Leo Africanus or Leo the African and possibly commissioned him to write a survey of Africa. And in that survey, Africanus echoed Zurara's sentiments of Africans, his own people. He said they were hypersexual savages, making him the first known African racist. When I was growing up, we called this drinking the Kool-Aid or selling out. Either way, Zurara's documentation of the racist idea that Africans needed slavery in order to be fed and taught Jesus and that it was all ordained by God began to seep in and stick to the European cultural psyche. And a few hundred years later, this idea would eventually reach America. Well, Grade Nines, that was your February 26th edition of First Chapter Fridays. That was Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, read by Jason Reynolds, an introduction by Ibram X. Kendi. I hope you enjoyed their reading of the first chapter of this book and that you would consider coming to the Learning Commons and taking it out and continuing your story. 
The one thing I really liked about this remix of Stamped from the Beginning is that Jason Reynolds, his voice is almost just like a conversation. The book makes you feel like you're just sitting in a living room playing video games and hanging out with them and having these very serious conversations about race. I learned a lot from this book and I honestly think that you guys would probably really enjoy it. So know that I have a number of copies in the Learning Commons. You are welcome to come anytime and take them out or I would probably even lend you my copy of the audiobook if you'd prefer to just listen to it. Anyways, I hope you have a wonderful, safe weekend, and I will talk at you again on March 5th. Bye!